read about you uh, as you fully revealed yourself in the Word. Uh, may we approach this next month with expectation, with anticipation uh, that our lives are going to be changed in a good way. Uh, as always, Lord, we need your Word. Uh, we need it to be our authority in our life. So often, we are tempted to be our own authority or something else to be our own authority. Lord, that's not the way you've designed life. You've designed us to submit to you and to your word because you know how life works best. Lord, help us trust you this morning. Help this word speak powerfully to us. Father, we come as needy, needy people, needing a savior, needing direction, needing someone to rescue us each and every moment of every day. We are desperate for you. None of us have our life together, not even close. And so, Lord, would you bless us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to spend the next month looking at Micah chapter 6, and we're going to spend most of the month uh, in verse 8, uh, which is a famous verse, which says to, to do what is right to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, this is what your God requires of you. It's a famous Old Testament verse. And so each week, uh, Bjorn and Sam are going to unpack more of what that means in our lives, more of, of how we actually live that out, the hope we have to actually live that out. But this morning, what we're going to do is take a little bit of a step back from verse 8 and get a little bit of the context of the book of Micah, and a little bit of the context of the Old Testament itself, because as we enter into the Old Testament, I think it raises things in our lives. I think things come to the surface that I want to unpack a little bit. Uh, as we have a little bit of an introduction and overview, I think it's going to help us in the next few weeks uh, to appreciate more and to understand more what's going on in Micah 6.8 and how we can actually apply that to our life. So we didn't want to jump right in to unpacking 6 verse 8. We wanted to step back a little bit. Uh, we also encourage you guys over the next month on your own, uh, you know, in your own quiet times, read through the whole book to, uh, on your own with your family. Uh, it's not a super long book, and I think because we're not reading the entire book as we normally do with some of our sermons uh, and just focusing on one verse in particular, uh, I, I would encourage you guys to read that uh, throughout the next month just so you can have better understanding as you come in on Sundays to hear. I want to start with an observation and a clarification. So observation, clarification, that I think is going to help us rightly think about the book of Micah and about any Old Testament book, for that matter, that we read. Um, if we're honest, and I've observed this in my own life and in the lives of people I know well, when you pick up your Bible or when you pick up someone else's maybe, or look at someone's Bible. And may, again, maybe this is just me, but maybe some of you uh, will relate to this. I've noticed that the Old Testament, which is about four-fifths of the Bible, the, the, the ends of the pages that you can see on someone's Bible or your own, they tell a story, actually. Uh, in most Bibles, I think, in our culture, the first four-fifths are pretty clean and pristine. Um, the last four-fifths of our Bible 
if you guys know I'm talking about, the end of the pages, they tend to be more wrinkled uh, and more ruffled. And the way paper works is the more you use it, the more you touch it, if I start messing with this, what happens to it? It starts getting a little ruffled, a little messy. If I don't touch it, it stays pristine, it stays clean. And I think if we're honest, and again, countless people I've talked to have said this is the case, and this has been in my own life too, the Old Testament is a little bit overwhelming to get into. Um, Maybe even some of you this morning as we're going into the book of Micah think, oh man, okay, we're going into the Old Testament. I've heard about the Old Testament. Uh, Whenever I go in to read it, I get overwhelmed. I have questions. I've heard people say that, that God... Uh, is, is cruel in the Old Testament, that he's erratic, that he's mean. And so maybe by just staying in the New Testament as much as possible, I don't have to face that scary reality where I want to believe God is a God of forgiveness, of justice, of grace, of mercy, of love, of tenderness, of gentleness. My life depends on that. If our God is not like that, all of us are in a heap of trouble. If our God is cruel, how long are we going to last as we get to know our own hearts? Half an hour? Four hours? A day? With all the sin that goes on inside of us, how long are we honestly going to last if our God is cruel? And so avoiding the Old Testament sometimes, I think, appeases this fear that we have. Uh, This morning, I do want to clarify that that's not an accurate fear to have. Um, If anything, the Old Testament uh, should be celebrated, and we should spend a lot of time there, not a little bit of time. I think this plays out in our own lives, too, uh, this this whole concept. Um, I want us to think about... uh, of a physical. You have your annual physical. How many of you, as your annual physical comes around, starts to get nervous? What if something's discovered? Um, maybe you're okay with the appointment itself because the doctor is just going to look at your physical body, but you really don't want to do the blood work. Uh, I think as our human nature tends to avoid these things. What if the blood work reveals something that is not good, just like the Old Testament reveals something about God that is not good that I now have to deal with day in and day out? I've literally several times with my physical rescheduled, canceled, rescheduled my blood work for that very reason, because I'm afraid of what might end up being revealed that I then have to face every day of my life. I think the same thing plays out with our kids or with our grandkids. Uh, we, we sense there could be something off with them, something wrong, and we don't necessarily know what it is that's going on with them. And it may be a little easier to, to step back and not want to actually engage it. Because what you might discover that they're wrestling with is beyond you. You don't, you don't know how to handle it. You don't feel like you have the resources internally to dwell with that, to to face that reality of your child or grandchild struggle day in and day out. You don't want to necessarily know 
what's actually going on. And so I think our human nature, if we're honest, tends to draw back and not engage. Because if we actually engage our child or grandchildren, we may discover that the thing going on actually does crush us. Maybe it's something that they've been seeing on their phone that's just ravaging their mind. And you're realizing, I don't know what to do with this. How did they get access to that? Is it my fault? How do we live with that? How do we sit with that kind of pain? So because I think it's human nature to avoid these things, whether it's your blood work or your children, I think the same thing happens with God. Now, it's understandable in the situation with blood work and children to avoid those things. I get that. Uh, the, the, the consequences could be significant. You could have cancer. Uh, you could have high blood cholesterol. You could have issues that are, are significant. Your child could be doing something on their phone that is actually taking their life from this direction literally to that direction. That could absolutely be happening. But I don't think in the case of the Old Testament that what we're going to find is going to be the bad news we're so afraid of. And I don't recommend avoiding the blood tests or the things with your children, but I understand the hesitancy to do so. Um, but the good news is, as we're going to see in Micah, is that the, as you go deeper into the Old Testament, as you really start to understand it, the fears start to subside. That feeling of being overwhelmed starts to subside and you start to realize, oh my gosh, the Old Testament is just as beautiful as the New. It's this incredible preparation, this clarification of who God is, His character, that honestly, by the end of reading the Old Testament, you start to have a posture that says, I am not surprised that He sent a Savior. That is exactly what his character would do. He's not going to be cruel and make us pay for our own sins forever. He's going to take them on himself. That actually is completely consistent with what the Old Testament has shown me about God himself. It's a, it's a fitting summation. In fact, we see the exact opposite throughout the Old Testament. It's not God's character that leads to death and destruction that is on a lot of pages in the Old Testament. What actually leads to death and destruction in the Old Testament is humanity's sinful heart. What do we know from the New Testament? The wages of sin is, is death. So humanity's sin is what's leading to death itself. So Micah was a prophet for around 45 years long reign as a prophet, from about 740 B.C. to about 695 B.C. This was a pretty consequential time uh, for the people of Israel. Uh, the people of Israel had entered the Promised Land about 1400 B.C. Uh, there was a long time with people like King David, King Solomon, some really good years in there, some really hard years in there. After Solomon... The kingdom is split into two. So in the north, in about 975 B.C., 
So the north was Israel with ten tribes. The south was Judah with two. And Micah was a prophet right in this time as God's patience with the sin of Israel had finally reached a tipping point. And through Micah, he tells them that the northern part of Israel, Israel itself, is about to be judged by the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians, of course, were known, if you know any history, for being unusually cruel as a people with how they would kill people. Um, And so this was a pretty overwhelming concept for the people of Israel. Um, So right in the middle of Micah's time as a prophet, Assyria comes in, overtakes Israel, defeats them, and exiles them. So they had been in the land about 700 years before they were taken out. And then the southern part would also go through a judgment 150 years later by the Babylonians who came in and took the, northern, the southern kingdom of Judah into exile. The interesting thing that you see as you read the book of Micah is there's this cycle going on throughout the whole book, the seven chapters. There's a cycle going on where you see God say, essentially, enough. I've been patient with you. I've borne with you for hundreds of years. Keep in mind, America, does America feel old to anybody? Like we've been here a long time as a nation? It does to me. I got one hand over there. Yeah. Um, it feels like America's been here a long time. I think, I think so. But it pales in comparison to how long Israel had been a, a nation. 700 years God had put up with their waywardness. That's a long time. Can you imagine being patient for 700 years? Like, think about that thing that your child does that that really bugs you. All right, everyone has it. 700 years waiting. If you're a kid in the room, think of that thing your parent does that really irks you. You got it? I know kids got it faster than the parents. Think about dealing with your parents' weaknesses and brokenness for 700 years. All right? That's a lot of patience. And in the book of Micah, what you're going to see is God says, enough. You see it in chapter 1. You see it in chapter 3. You see it in chapter 5. He's saying, enough sin. I am a God of perfect holiness. The end of Micah tells us that he rejoices to show loving kindness. He delights, is another translation. He delights in showing love and kindness. That'll be our benediction this morning. He delights in doing that. He doesn't delight in sin. He doesn't delight in our brokenness. He delights in righteousness, in holiness, in goodness. Think of the Ten Commandments that he reveals in Exodus. No kingdom in that time had anything close to those types of laws for their people. I mean, talk about, think about living in a world where there was no murder, no envy, no adultery, no lust, no lying, no stealing. Did anyone want to live in a a place like that? Yeah. 
I think God's laws are pretty awesome, if you ask me. His heart is for His people to live in righteousness and holiness. And what you're going to see in the book of Micah, not just for a day, not just for five days, not just for 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, 300 years, the people of Israel, us included in that, by the way, were living in sin for hundreds of years. What kind of sin was going on? Well, let's be honest. They were engaging in the same sins that the very people who were living in the promised land before them were engaging in. God waited 400 years. His patience waited 400, maybe even 500 years to kick out the people in the promised land. He said to Abraham, I'm sending you to Egypt for four, 500 years because my patience and my grace is going to wait that long for the sins of the people in the promised land to overflow. I'm going to give them chances to repent. I'm going to bear with them. The people of Israel come in and they do the same thing. They start sinning in the same way. Hundreds of years, God's patient with them, patient with them, patient with them. They're robbing women and children of their homes and their futures. In ancient Israel, if you lost your home, you were done. Your home was your livelihood. It was your future, your land, your home. That's all you had to pass on to the next generation. If you lost that, you were very vulnerable to human trafficking, to death, to disease. And the leaders of Israel were constantly taking the homes of women and children and giving them to the rich and powerful. Not good. God was not happy about that. They were worshiping other gods. They were setting up idols. They were sacrificing, in some cases, their children to these gods. They were, they were worshiping fertility gods. They were having unbelievable public displays, as you can imagine, to worship other gods with their bodies. Not good. But again, his patience was lasting hundreds of years as they were doing this. They were devising and executing murder of their own people, and in verse 3, you're going to see it as pretty vivid and disturbing as you read Micah. And let me ask you this as we wrap up here. What does the Old Testament say about murder? Just to give you an example of God's character in the Old Testament that's played out here that should give us hope. In Leviticus 24, 17, God tells his people that if you kill someone, if you murder someone like they were doing here for hundreds of years in Israel, if you kill someone, that person needs to be immediately put to death. That was the Old Testament law. All the sacrifices that you see in the Old Testament, all the animal sacrifices and things, those were not designed for sins like murder. So there was no hope for a sin like murder. You couldn't just go there wasn't a murder sacrifice where you could take the nicest pigeon and sacrifice it and you'll be free of murder. If you killed someone on purpose, you were in trouble and you were going to be killed for that. Yet you see time and time again that God relents of his judgment on his people. They're murdering each other. According to his law, the consequence of that is immediate death for that person. But what do you see? You see him bearing with his people, giving them chances, sending them prophet after prophet after prophet, saying, repent, you guys are going the wrong direction. You're killing each other. You're stealing each other's homes. You're worshiping other gods with your bodies, and you're even killing your family members for them. 
No, you don't see a God who's cruel in Micah or in the Old Testament. No, you see people who are cruel. A God who is finally getting to a point of saying, enough. For the sake of my name and my glory, judgment is coming because you guys are not correcting this. Enough. And so what does this mean for us? What did it mean for, for us and for the people of, of, of Israel? Because um, throughout Micah, what you see is this incredible hope that someday soon, God is going to send a king out of Bethlehem. That comes from Micah. This king was going to be born in Bethlehem, and he was going to rule his people in peace. And it also says, not only was this king to come, who it says was born of ancient of times, ancient of days, this king from Bethlehem, he himself was going to be their peace. And that the nations were going to, not just Israel, but the nations were going to marvel at what God had done. What a hopeful message. That's, that's, the, that's the prophecy of the church. The day is coming when all the nations will marvel and they'll come to Jerusalem, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and they're going to worship God and say, thank you. Because we have to ask ourselves the question, do we also struggle with things like greed, like the people of Israel? Do we worship these? Yeah, I know they're not Asherah poles, but do we? Do we worship these? Do we hate anyone in this church, in our neighborhood, at work? Do we hate people? What did Jesus say about hate of other people? It's the same as what? It's the same as murder. We all do. We all struggle with these things. And in verse 7 of Micah, they ask the question, which I think our hearts ask too, what can we bring to the Lord if we are ourselves are convicted of our own sin? How can we repay him? Should we offer him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? And the answer is no. In this text and in today's day, no, we don't try to pay God off. Micah 7.19 closes with this promise that God, and I think about this with the season of Lent we're in, 719 promises us that God is going to trample our sins under his feet. God is going to trample our sins under his feet. No, we don't try to pay God off as we think about our own lives. He wasn't calling the people of Israel to pay them off, to pay off God for their sins either. He was asking them to trust him and follow him and to live righteously, to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And what a hope we have that they didn't have fully revealed at this time, that now we actually know what that means. That's actually been fulfilled through this king from Bethlehem, that through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we can actually follow Jesus now. Not perfectly, but we can actually do what is right. We can actually love mercy, and we can actually walk humbly with our God together as a church. What a beautiful hope. And so the next three weeks, we're going to see where this hope comes from, that we can actually live this out together. So we're not falling into the sins of greed, worshiping our phones, or hating people. 
but we're actually loving what's good, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. So I really hope that the next week you guys will come back together and dive into this, of what this actually looks like to live this out together, uh, because there is hope to do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning and this chance to to worship you and to just take a little bit of a step back into this book of Micah, this beautiful book that gives us so much hope for the future, that so much of it has now been revealed through this king from Bethlehem, and that the nations are indeed coming to worship you, God, that that's been fulfilled and is being fulfilled every day. Lord, give us hope that we can actually live this way, not of our own strength, of our own abilities or our own temperaments, but that the Holy Spirit who lives in us would empower us as a people, Lord, to live this way so that the world would see how beautiful you are, that yes, you're a God of justice, yes, you judge sin, of course, we would not want a God who didn't, but God, you are patient, you are long-suffering, you're enduring, and you're gracious, and so Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your character, in Jesus' name, amen.